and I'm going to read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. 11 to 22. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, once far off, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Amen. You be seated. Offer a quick prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this people. And Father, we come now and ask, as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, that you, Father, may give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that we might have knowledge of you. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes that understand and are enlightened that we might know what is the hope of your calling and the riches of your glory and the inheritance for the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe according to the working of your mighty power. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the voice that comes from heaven, the voice that gives life, the living word. And I thank you that you will do this. We ask it for the sake of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy. And in his name, thank you. Amen. So I had to alter <clears throat> a little bit um, because last week something happened, um, but that's okay. So I'll, I'll just start out and then I'm going to just kind of bring this up, but we were doing a book study yesterday from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and something that I had read in that book had, had struck me. Um, in the chapter that he writes entitled, Is Christianity Hard or Easy? C.S. Lewis describes the complete transformation demanded of the self in the Christian faith. As he continues on, he states how it's hard because we're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition. 
and hoping that in spite of this, we will behave honestly, chastely, and humbly. What Lewis is pointing out is the problem and the futility of separating our actions from our thoughts. He continues in that chapter, that is why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals, and the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back. As I was preparing this message from Ephesians 2, interestingly enough as it would happen, an illustration of the application of what Paul is saying and what Lewis is pointing at um, came from our brother as he was handing out these sheets. Um, and it's, it's really a story of as, as a child, he would go back and forth to his school, he would see things, even before he was a Christian. And he's remembering all of the times and all of the events, the simple things, looking at the trees and a rock that he found to stand upon, and all of the scriptures that came back. And he uses this, and I'm going to use it today, as an illustration of the power of memory, remembering. Um, because that is, as, as Lewis is talking about this desires and these things that come from within us, and struggle. We've all been there. <clears throat> um, the Apostle Paul was even there. The things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I'm compelled, it seems, to do. I don't get it. Who can deliver me? That's what Lewis is talking about in that chapter that makes it hard and using memory, remembering is the repair, doing what Elroy did, going back and looking at specific moments in your life where God has made very clear to you his presence and his purpose, his love and his kindness is in the act of remembering. And that will guard your heart and give you a defense. That's what Paul is writing here in this passage. This is a description of what I refer to as the battlefield of the mind. It's when the desires of the flesh and the enticements of the world come into your life and there is an intense struggle for control within your own heart. And it's a difficult battle if you do as Lewis would point out, try to keep some portion of yourself alive. In fact, it's more than difficult. Jesus himself said it's impossible because you cannot serve two masters. So what do we do? How can we detect and deny the world's call? How can we reject those ideas that seem so right but lead to death? We must remember Scripture exhorts us in several places 
to fight this battle by remembering. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Meditate on the things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and virtuous. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul writing to that church that we do not fight with weapons of the flesh, but we cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Again, Paul writing to the Philippians encourages them this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again and again, the instruction to discipline the mind. And the one way to do that is through memory. Notice here in this passage that we're going to focus on, the first thing Paul says is he opens his letter to the Ephesian church. The first chapter is a glorious retelling of the, the majesty of God in election, the majesty of God in salvation, the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ in his purchase and redemptive um, acts on our behalf. All of those wonderful, beautiful things. He then goes on and offers up this prayer that asks the Father to open their eyes to see the truths that he has expounded, that they might actually see that he is high and lifted up. He goes then into chapter 2, and he turns his attention to the world that these Ephesian Christians are living in. And they see these things that are around them, these things that are embattling them, and he reminds them that it is by grace through faith. The verse 4, but God verse. The world is against you. Your own flesh is against you, but God, rich in mercy, great in his love, has raised you from the dead and seated you with his Son in the heavenly places. And after all of those wonderful statements, in verse 11, first two words, therefore, based on all of that, remember, remember, it is the act of memory that Paul calls them to. He gives them the truth, which we have in the words of Scripture. We have it preached to us. We go to our Sunday schools. We have it taught to us. The Holy Spirit being our guide, he writes the words of the Lord Jesus Christ on our hearts, and he tells us that he will give us memory if we but remember. It's an act of the will. It's an act of the mind that drives the action. We have it backwards. We think we can act good enough against our own desires when it's God who will change your desire. So Paul reminds them, remember. But what does he remind them to remember? How is this helpful to us? What good does this do in the morning when these things are coming against us? There's three things in this passage that you'll notice. It's, it was a rather long passage, but there's three categories that Paul encourages them to remember. He reminds them to remember their past. He reminds them to remember their present. And he, remember, he reminds them to remember their future. So especially on this day, as we come together to partake of the Lord's table, which we do in remembrance of him, 
we should take a moment and we should remember with the Ephesian church these things. So we remember our past. Do you remember who you once were? He reminds these Ephesian believers that they were dead in trespasses and sins. It's in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 1, it was He, God, who made you alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You were once far off. Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. You were outside of the covenant, outside of the promises. You were without Christ. You were without God. And you were without hope. No hope. It's important we remember that that's who we were. It helps us in many ways. One way is when we go outside the walls of this church and we interact with our loved ones. And we interact with people in our lives that don't know the Lord. We can remember that we were just like them. None of us maybe was as bad as we could have been, but all of us were just as bad as we wanted to be. And we were separated without hope. We come up on an election this week and there are people that are in our lives that are just thinking, oh, if we could just get the right people into office. There are people that you know in your lives that think, oh, if I could just get that next job, if I could just get that next promotion, if we could just do this, if we could just accomplish that, and we've all chased that dream. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, chased that dream in every aspect of that dream. And in the end, what did he say? Vanity. It's grasping for wind. And when that point is reached, hopelessness ensues, despair, depression. You recognize your eternal consequence that there is no better life now. That's who we once were. We were enemies of the cross and enemies of God's Christ. And when we remember who we were, it helps us to remember the love of God. It turns our hearts to remember the mercy of God. It turns us to love the amazing grace of God because he didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us so much more. If he gave us just what we deserved, we'd be condemned. He gave us his only begotten son. So when we come to the table and we recognize who we were and what he did, we can't help but have our hearts moved that this loving, merciful, and graceful God saved us.
when we were all of those things, at just the right moment, he saved you. So we remember our past, but we don't stop there. We remember our today. So what's changed for you? Well, I'm going to appeal to Paul's letter to remind you of a few things that you are presently experiencing. It was God who chose you before the foundation of the world and predestined you to adoption as his son, as his daughter. He chose you. I know the doctrine of election gets people all twisted up. Don't want to talk about the doctrine of election, but understand God chose you from the foundation of the world and has adopted you in Christ. You are a child of the King. That's out of chapter 1, verse 5. Though you were afar off, he has brought you near to him and has redeemed you through his own blood. That's chapter 1, verse 7. He has drawn you into him. The enmity that was between you and God has been abolished. The war that raged between you and your Redeemer has been removed and has been supplanted with Jesus Christ, who is, in fact, your peace. And he accomplished this in his flesh when he died on that cross. That's chapter 2, verse 15. He has secured for you the forgiveness of sins in his atoning work on the cross. That's chapter 1, verse 7. He has granted to you an imperishable, permanent, eternal inheritance. That's chapter 1, verse 11. And he himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, has sealed the new covenant promise in his own blood. His promises are yes and amen, and he has sealed the new covenant in his own blood. As we partake of the cup today, we will recall that. But because of where we are today, we are now the children of a loving God. Sons and daughters of the Most High, purchased, redeemed with his blood. The war that we conducted, removed. We are forgiven. We are made accepted, not we will be. As you sit in that chair today, in Christ Jesus, you are accepted. You have access. It's so much more. That's your present. So you remember today that this God whom we serve is a God who is forbearing. He is a God who is patient. He is a God who has loving kindness that is immeasurable. And he is a God of power, which he displays through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of loving kindnesses, patient that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, with him, as Peter tells us, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years a day. He's patient. Why does he allow sin to exist? Because he wants people to be saved. He is a loving, kind God. And his power is unlimited. 
And it's his power that we remember today that is at work in us, just as it was at work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. That's chapter 1, verse 20. So that's your today. But as you fight these battles and all of these temptations, we also want to remember the future. What will be done in us? What will be done for us? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, what he has begun, he will finish. You go into verse 15 of our passage today. He himself is our peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself is your peace. He gives you peace, but he himself is your peace. You are in him, just as he is in the Father. We are in him. He's restored our relationship with others. What a fantastic thing. It's not just a relationship with our Father, that's wonderful enough, but He has restored our broken relationships with others. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. He's speaking here as Paul is writing to this separation between the Gentiles or the uncircumcision and those that are of the circumcision, the Jewish people. It is not a gospel, it is not a salvation for the Jew only, it is not a gospel for the Gentile only, it's a gospel for the entire world. And the two have been made one, there is no more Jew or Greek, there is no male, female, there is no black, white, heavy, um, not heavy, whatever that's called, I don't know because I've always been the heavy one. Um, there is no difference. This world right now is clamoring for unity. In Christ we are one. Just look around this room. This is a small sampling. We would never be together apart from Christ. We're too different. We have different interests. And God uses all of those things. But together, we're the body. And we are one. He has restored what was broken in this world. And he will restore all of it because not only has he created each and brought them together, which we hear in, or we read in verse 15, and he has made that peace, but in verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. So he has reconciled, made whole, restored our relationship one to another in his body, and he has restored us to the Father. So he has repaired and is going to repair all of the separation. And he's working by the power of the Holy Spirit to perfect you. These are the things that he will accomplish. I know it was a tough teaching yesterday from C.S. Lewis's book. It's one we struggle with because we want to think we're okay. But the standard is perfection and the Lord Jesus Christ will do nothing less. He is not going to allow sin to remain in you. 
He will do what is necessary in your life to make you perfect. And that is a wonderful thing. It's a painful thing sometimes because we want to wrestle around with it and hold on to it. But the promise is that he's going to finish that. I will do it. It's the power of God working in you. You are not greater than he that is at work in you. He will finish it. It's a wonderful thing to think about our future. When we look at the world we live in, when we have all of these thoughts that come and we're assaulted and we're tempted about things, remember, He wants you perfect. Remember, He is at work in you. Remember that He has restored you in your relationship one with another. When you have that disagreement with the person that's in your life, remember that there is one body, there is one Lord, one church, one spirit, one God and Father who is in all and over us all. That's how you do combat. You don't look at the person and say, well, they. You realize that you've got a board in your own eye. You don't have to worry about those specks. That Christ Jesus himself is going to perfect you and he is going to perfect them and he has joined us together that we might enable each other. The body of Christ, <clears throat> if your liver decides it's no longer going to participate in the body, the rest of the body is going to be in trouble. He's at work in the Holy Spirit to perfect you. And he is at work in the entire church. We are, and this is towards the end in chapter, or excuse me, chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, <clears throat> He is at work in all of us. And we are being built together that we might be the dwelling place for God in the Spirit. He is going to build you and I and His church and there is no one that can stop it. The gates of hell can't prevail against Him. Satan himself cannot thwart Him. He will build His church and you will be such that He will dwell with you and you will dwell with him. There will be a point in this future, whenever it is that God has it planned out, that we will be with him and we will see him as he is, for we'll be made like him. There will be no darkness, for the light of the Lord Jesus Christ will shine all around you. You won't have a shadow. There will be no more sin. There will be no more struggles. Evil will be overcome. That's the future that we look forward to. That's the future that we remember, that it is our God who saved us when we were his enemies. That it is our God who is working in us today and who is currently on this day entitled us to all of the riches and glory of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in his abundant mercies, and his abundant grace. And it is this God who has promised that what he has begun in your life and in mine, he will finish. And he's working. He's working. Nothing comes into your life. Nothing happens to you that catches him off guard or by surprise. That's what we remember. And in so doing, we remember, as we sang earlier, great is thy faithfulness. Even when our faith fails, he remains faithful. When we run into the weeds to hide like Adam did, 
he comes look. Where are you? He never gives up on us. He never quits. He picks us up. He dusts us off. He forgives our sins because of the work of his son. He sends us on our way. And he will finish it. So we remember his faithfulness. And we remember his determined purpose. Nothing can thwart him. Not even you. So that's how. And that's why. We must remember. That's why, as the Apostle Paul is writing, the first words he tells them after these great, wonderful truths is remember. The Lord Jesus Christ says that he spoke the words to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed so that they would remember what he told them. Peter, when he wrote his epistles, Tim just went through them. I remind you, it's nothing new. It's a reminder. It's a truth that is eternal and applies forever and always. So we remember, as we begin each day, as that battle comes, that hard thing, when the demands come, we remember. Pretty easy. When we face persecutions, when we face difficulties for His name's sake, we remember. When we're enjoying peace and satisfaction in our day and victorious living, we remember. And as we come to his table, and we think back to that moment in history when the Lord said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you, and this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. We remember. And with our minds refreshed, and having a new hope for our future, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because we remember his promise. Father, I thank you that you have given us the living word. I thank you, Father, that you have given us your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you do not change, that there is no shadow of turning within you that what you have said you will do, you have done, and that, Father, we have been the benefactors of your grace and of your mercy, of your loving kindness, of your patient forbearance. Father, we have been the objects of your choice. We have received so much. And so this morning, Father, help us to remember. Help us to remember that you are not just the God of this church, but you are the God of the entire world. That there are people that are out there, Lord Jesus, that need to see you, that need to hear your voice, that need to look up and see you at the right hand of the Father and be saved. Thank you that you encourage us to go out into this world and proclaim your death until you come. And thank you, Father, that you give us memory. What a gift it is. Father, help us now as we come to the table in remembrance of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
to honor and glorify him and to honor and glorify you. And I thank you that you will. For it's in his name and for his sake I pray. Amen.